The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Start! You can call me Bruce. Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce. Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive. And here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. The Checklist is the name of this episode. Kind of sounds like it might be a Seinfeld episode title. But the reason that today's show is called The Checklist is because I have a checklist of my own to get through. And then I have a checklist for the game that's coming up. This weekend for the Buffalo Bills, actual Buffalo Bills, parentheses, preseason, parentheses, football. We have listener emails to get to, and we're going to start off with those. And then after that, we're going to take a break. We're going to come back, and then we're going to go through my checklist for the game. Let's get started. Kevin says, hi, Bruce. Longtime listener. Back to the Nick and Nolan days. First time emailer. Kevin, thank you. The last couple seasons, in particular the end of last season, has me reflecting on gratitude as a sports fan. Despite growing up in Steelers country, I've been a Bills fan for as long as I can remember. It's a joke that it's genetic because it was really my dad who got to enjoy the Four Falls of Buffalo, who indoctrinated me as a Bills fan. Needless to say, my fandom was both bullied and ridiculed throughout the drought. As a counterpoint, my wife, who's Australian, has really gotten hooked on the Bills and football in general over the last two seasons. She's grown to love the sport, even if she's still working out some of the rules relative to the AFL. Thinking back to last season at the end of it, I remember my wife being crestfallen and upset with how 13 seconds played out. Meanwhile, I was partially disappointed, but mostly sanguine. I remember telling her and my other friends that I never thought I'd see a quarterback as electric as Josh Allen played a Bills uniform, and I just enjoyed every second of it despite the loss. Anyway, my point is I think long-term Bills fans are literally in the best position of any professional sports fans. We have an incredibly fun team to watch, and we have nearly three-decade context 
in which to enjoy it properly without being wrecked by the vicissitudes that are part and parcel of football. I would love to see the Lombardi come to Buffalo, but I'm going to enjoy the ride no matter what. Regarding the title of this email, I really know very little about Marvel TV shows, but Cloak and Dagger strikes me as a perfect nickname for Poyer and Hyde, given their uncanny ability to disguise coverages and put the dagger into a game at any point in time with a backbreaking interception, sack, or possibly even a long punt return. Also, can you really nickname one without the other? Thank you for the outstanding weekly content. I look forward to listening every Thursday and Saturday. Go Bills, Kevin. Kevin, thank you so much. You know, I was reflecting on this myself recently um, because it's interesting. The number one trait, psychologically speaking, that correlates with happiness is gratitude. The people who are happiest in the world are the people who are the most grateful. And so when you force yourself into gratitude, you're literally forcing yourself into something that correlates more positively with happiness. So being grateful for things is a really significant part of being happy. And I think that's one of the reasons why people who are overly ambitious are never really happy. And it's because those people can't be grateful. They can't find themselves in a spirit of gratitude because they feel like that's being content. And being content is the opposite of being ambitious in their minds. And that's why a lot of them are happy. And so you look at some of the sports fans around the world and you go, gosh, you know, some of the most miserable sports fans you know are the people who aren't in the spot where you're at, Kevin. They're not in the spot where they can be grateful. They can just be happy to enjoy it. They can't have the perspective to know that only one team ends the season thrilled. That's it. One. One team ends the season thrilled. Every single other team has fans who end the season disappointed for one reason or another. Unless for some reason you were hoping your team to lose as many games as humanly possible. Which, even in that case, you might be disappointed. Jets fans were disappointed because they missed out on Trevor Lawrence. So the amount of gratitude you have is directly correlative to how happy you are. So I am going to try to be grateful that I get to watch the Bills be good. Knowing full well that being as good as you can for as long as you can and hoping you get lucky will eventually come around to the Bills getting lucky. And winning a Super Bowl. And that would be awesome. In regards to Cloak and Dagger and Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde, I will admit I have not seen all of the Hulu series in the Marvel Universe with Cloak and Dagger. But I am familiar enough with it that I think it's it's a reasonable nickname for sure. Jeff sent an email and said, now I understand why you're a Buckeyes fan. I am too, but I didn't go to Ohio State. I'm curious how you became a Bills fan and are you also a Browns fan? Really enjoyed the podcast with Mrs. Nolan. No, I am not a Browns fan. I like the NFL a lot. um, And I did graduate from Ohio State, but I am neither a Browns fan nor am I a Bengals fan. A lot of people in Ohio think the Bengals are basically a Kentucky team, but uh, I am not a Browns or a Bengals fan. I am a football fan first. And then secondarily, I am a Buffalo Bills fan. If the Buffalo Bills cease to exist, 
I would pick another team to have a rooting interest in, for sure. But I would still watch the sport. Just like I watch mixed martial arts, even when my favorite fighter isn't fighting, I still watch the sport. It's the same way for me. The method by which I became a Bills fan, I've talked about this on the podcast before, but it's been years, so I'll go ahead and share it again. I was born uh, in West Philadelphia. And my, yes, I'm the Fresh Prince of Bills Mafia. My family were all Eagles fans. So when I was very, very young, I went to an Eagles game. And the the person in front of me, ironically enough, a Browns fan, was being treated horribly by the local Eagles fans. And I was just devastated by this. I went home and I thought to myself, no, I, I can't possibly be part of a group that would treat someone like this. Now, of course, I'm, I'm young and I'm, I'm dumb. I don't realize that, that stuff happens all over across the NFL at this point. And I go home and I decide I'm going to count up all of my football cards. And whoever I have the most cards of, I'm going to be a fan of that team. So I counted up all my cards and I had the most Buffalo Bills cards. So I came down and I announced to my family that I was now going to be a Buffalo Bills fan. And that was it. That was years and years and years and years and years ago. And I'm still a Buffalo Bills fan. That's it. Just a random luck of the draw. That's the way I became a Bills fan. So it is a hilarious story to tell. And I still can't believe in the long run that that's what happened. And that's how I became a Bills fan. But, you know, here I am. Declan sent me an email and said, Hi, Bruce. I appreciate the shout out on the pod a couple weeks ago. I see you're gearing up to talk about some projections for the offense. And I have one question heading into camp. Now, obviously, we've had a couple weeks of camp now. But we still, I think have this question as a meaningful question in this offense, which is the reason why I want to talk about it anyway. He says, who plays outside wide receiver three on this year's depth chart? Some data from last year to frame this a little better. Diggs played 85.5% of the snaps. Sanders played 65.4. Beasley played 60.5. Davis played 50. McKenzie played 22.5. Kumro played 10.1. And then Stevenson and Hodges played less than 1% each one. Diggs had a healthy year in 2021, but also still sat for 200 snaps. Based on the 85% utilization rate for Diggs last year, the backup Z receiver position would still take about 400 snaps in a perfect world where Diggs and Davis are healthy. I wanted to share this and see if you had any insight. Is the team hoping Shakir can play X or Z at the NFL level? Are they going to bring back touchdown Jesus? Could Hodgins or Stevenson take a big step forward? If we got five locks plus kick return and punt return, will the team need to roster seven wide receivers? Could we see Knox running routes outside? It'll be fun to see how this shakes out. Go Bills. So I think the answer to your question is multifaceted. Number one, I do think Jamison Crowder still makes this team. I understand that Isaiah McKenzie is ahead of him right now in the slot battle. And Jamison Crowder is not a slot only player. He can play a little bit on the outside. So there's part of your answer. The other part of the answer, I think, is Khalil Shakir. And there have been rumors and rumblings about Isaiah Hodgins really coming on in camp. Now, I don't think he makes the team at this point. I think the answer is Jake Kumaro. With Stevenson's injury and numbers and the real possibility that Tavon Austin is the number one return man for this team, I think that there's a very real possibility that Stevenson and Hodgins are both not on this team in a meaningful capacity. They might be a practice squad. Maybe Stevenson gets IR'd so they can stash him for another year. But I think you're looking at a, at a kind of a split between Crowder, Shakir, and Kumaro. I do think there's a chance Isaiah Hodgins, you know, 
ends up back on the practice squad. But I'm not willing, based on the rumors, rumors that I've heard, the rumblings, I'm not willing to say, yeah, absolutely, he's going to push for a, for a roster spot at this point in time. Evan has a Ken Dorsey almighty take. Says, I've been reading a lot about how Dorsey has studied almost every offensive scheme known to football. Yes, he said they're keeping terminology the same, but it'll look different to the casual fan. Every pre-snap offensive formation used in the NFL, FBS, FCS, D2, D3, NAIA, JUCO, High School, Pop Warner, USFL, XFL, CFL, Arena Football, and NFL Europe used over the past 30 years will make an appearance in the Bills games this season. Chad mentioned, Chad Hall, the wide receiver coach, mentioned how this camp is a lot of fun because they're teaching everyone to play everywhere. My take is that every offensive starter, including offensive linemen, will have a scoring touchdown this year. More than one wide receiver will rush for a touchdown. Josh will finally catch a touchdown in a victory, and at least one defensive player will score a touchdown on offense. Hold on to your butts, brochachos. Kenny's going to get weird this season. I do think it's going to look different. Now, I will say, as far as the offensive packages, I do think that's the biggest part you're going to see different this year. Primarily, it was an 11 personnel offense last year. I do think you're going to see a lot more 22, 12. And that's good if you have the players for it. But if it runs into a scenario halfway through the year where 12 personnel is clearly ineffective relative to the rest of it, I am going to be saying, yeah, let's do fewer things. Let's not be as diverse. Diversity is good if it works. If not, just do the thing you're good at and call it a day. Because if the Bills are averaging really good EPA per play every time they run a snap out of 11, and really bad EPA per play every time they run a snap out of 12 and 22, I'm going to be sitting here week eight going, let's stop doing those things. Stop doing things you're bad at. Do more of the things you're good at. So diversity is great, and I think that's what we're going to see. But we got to keep an eye and make sure that it actually works. We're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about my checklist for the upcoming Buffalo Bills preseason game. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We went through my checklist as far as getting things done when it comes to the Buffalo Bills mailbag that I had. But now 
we want to get things done regarding the Buffalo Bills preseason game. Here's some things that I'm keeping an eye on. Here's what my checklist looks like for the game on Saturday at 4 p.m. Number one, don't get hurt. Obviously, I'm keeping very close eye on any injury because all of it matters. I don't think I really need to go through that any more than that. I don't think I need to elaborate on that. Just don't get hurt. Number two, who is held out entirely and should one of those players be Josh Allen? McDermott was non-committal on Josh Allen playing. And I just want to go out on a limb and just tell you this. If McDermott could be non-committal in the media about what he had for breakfast this morning, he would do it. Uh, yeah, Sean, I noticed you had some raisin bread. Yeah, I, you know, uh, you know, we're just trying to take it, you know, one bite at a time. Uh, you know, trying to make sure we, uh, you know, get get everything we're supposed to get done with the spoon. You know, make sure you get the right amount of milk. Um, you know, just execute. You know, give one hundred ten percent. That would be his answer if you asked him what he had for breakfast this morning, because he would never admit that he cheated and had raisin bran as his cheat meal. Dude does not know what a cheat meal is. Let me just tell you, he needs to listen to food for thought. We'll give you what a cheat meal is. So he was non-committal. Of course he was non-committal on Josh Allen playing. But I want to see who's held out entirely. Because if Josh Allen gets held out, who is viewed as the same level of importance that they get held out? I mentioned that the Hall of Fame game was interesting because Josh Jacobs was not held out by the Raiders, even though a lot of really important players were. So therefore, he's not viewed in the same light as those players. So who is held out entirely matters. For example, if Josh Allen and Stephon Diggs are both held out and Gabriel Davis becomes your starting wide receiver and Isaiah McKenzie is held out, that's a big deal. A really big deal. If someone is healthy and held out, that matters a lot. That's an example of something that if we saw it, I would go, whoa, 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 whoa. So I'm paying attention to who's healthy, but held out. Number three, who is playing late and alongside whom? I mentioned this when I talked about the Hall of Fame game on Food for Thought. Listen, if you're playing late in a preseason game, red flags, really significant red flags. Nobody plays late in a preseason game who isn't fighting for a roster spot. If someone is there and they're playing really, really late, if A.J. Epinesa is in the last drive of the game, I think that matters. I think that matters. Especially if Boogie Basham has already had his helmet off and he's done. And it's just A.J. Epinesa. That gives you a hint for who's ahead of who on the depth chart, regardless of what they actually say on the actual depth chart, because we all know it doesn't necessarily follow that. The things that they exhibit in ways of actions are far more important than what they say on that piece of paper. Who plays when and with whom? Next thing, James Cook as a runner and James Cook in pass protection. The thing that gets rookies on the field early is being able to make plays in the pass game. Whether that's catching the ball, whether that's pass protecting, and specifically the ability to do both. I will be paying very close attention to James Cook 
as a pass protector and James Cook as a receiver. But also, to a lesser degree, James Cook as a runner. There are people out there who still believe that James Cook could be the 1A running back for this team at some point meaningfully in 2022. I'm not willing to go there at this point based on the behavior that they exhibited at the running back position this offseason as a whole. But if there's a chance for him to see meaningful time, it's going to be because he can pass protect, because he can be a play, player in the pass game. These things matter. If you can't pass protect, you usually don't get on the field very much as a rookie. And if you only come in on third downs and you're only going to run around on third downs, that creates problems for your offense because of the predictability. So I'm paying attention to James Cook as a runner, as pass protection, as a receiver. Next thing, number five, Mambo number five, Daquan Jones. If he plays, I want to see Daquan Jones play. We just stopped talking about him this entire offseason. We just stopped, just stopped talking about him. And because he's a two-gapping nose tackle, he's a one-tech, because of these things, you don't really hear much about him in training camp either. I want to see him, if he is playing, I want to see him and specifically his ability to two-gap. Because we were talking about it. We talked about it. I talked about it when they signed him. I talked about it multiple times this offseason. That schematically would have a ripple effect through the defense. I want to see it. I'm not even necessarily all that concerned about who he's doing it with. I just want to see it being the responsibility. Because if I can see him having that as his responsibility, then that trickles through. I understand he might not be playing against the best offensive guards and centers in the world, depending on the team they're playing and depending on what that team decides to do with their starters. But if I can see it as a responsibility, then it gives me a little bit of hope that maybe it will go as intended. The last thing, Kair Elam. I was on the code of conduct with Jay Spence the King earlier this week. And he asked me, if I was worried about cornerback, and I said, yes, I'm always worried about cornerback. I've been worried about cornerback for years, but I don't think that Sean McDermott is as worried as I am. Well, I want to know how worried I should be. So I'm going to be watching a lot of Kyrie Elam. When I go back and watch all 22 of a preseason game, God help us all watching all 22 of a preseason game. We're junkies, babies. We're just junkies. I'm going to be watching Kyrie Elam. I'm going to be watching a lot of Kyrie Elam. Because what I think I'm going to see is someone who's really athletic and good in press and has technical things they need to work on. That's what I think I'm going to see. And I want to draw a connection between what I think I'm going to see and what I actually see. What if I see someone who's not nearly as athletic as I thought they were? Well, that's bad. What if I saw someone who's more technical than I thought they were going to be? That's good. What if I see different stuff? Because I've seen Kair Elam play in college, but I've never seen him play in a game setting in the Buffalo Bills defense, ever. So I want to see what I think I'm going to see. And if I do, I'll feel a little bit better. If I don't, I'll feel a little bit worse. We won't hit the alarm on Kair Elam after one preseason game. We're not going to. We just want to look for a little validation of what we think we're going to see. So those are the things that I'm going to be looking at. Don't get hurt. 
who is held out entirely, who is playing late and with whom, James Cook as a runner, receiver, and pass production, Daquan Jones, and Kyir Elam. Those are the things on my mind. And I cannot go back and watch all 22 of every player. I just can't do it. So I'm already telling you ahead of time, unless something crazy comes up, might be Khalil Shakir has a big game and I want to go back and watch him. Those are the players I'm going to be going back and watching. Because if you know anything about this show, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the narratives. Now, maybe the narrative comes out of that preseason game and I have to adjust my plan, in which case I will. Because I want to talk about what you want to talk about. And if the narrative is Khalil Shakir blew up, then guess what? We're going to go back and watch Khalil Shakir because we're going to address the narrative of the preseason game. But barring anything insane, that's where I'm going to be. That's where my eyes are going to be. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We got through the checklist. And as a final reminder, winning in the preseason does not matter at all. It doesn't matter. This idea that winning in the preseason creates a winning culture is wrong. Winning the preseason games don't matter at all. So if you're someone out there who thinks that they do and you're going to be upset, if the Bills lose on Saturday, I got nothing to tell you except that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. <laughs>